This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast. And now available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week we review the stories that made the business and market headlines with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And it's uh, welcome back to Craig. How are you doing? I'm really good, mate. How are you? Uh, very good. We're also joined today on the line by Oanda Senior Market Analyst in Toronto, Alfonso Esparza. Good afternoon or good morning. Good morning and good afternoon to you guys. The latest US non-farm payroll figures are out. They make very interesting reading. Annual wage growth hitting a nine-year high in the US last month as the economy created more jobs than expected, just over 200,000. And there are some other interesting numbers in this report. What is the general reaction to the latest figures? Oh, it's very positive, especially for the dollar. Usually this strong report is now expected, uh, but the, what was unexpected is was beyond the forecast and especially in the inflation component. So average hourly earnings were 0.4% when 0.2 was expected. So it basically doubled expectations. And in all, it validates a decision for the Fed to hike in September. And it definitely puts uh, December more firmly on the table. And obviously that's had an effect on the dollar Craig, which has risen, of course, in response to the data. Although, as we were saying off air earlier on, the proposed rate hike in September was more or less priced in, wasn't it? Yeah, the September rate hike was priced in. It's the December one, which was possibly uh, still up for discussion. And I think, the uh, as Alfonso alluded to, that jobs report really does just put that December hike very much firmly on the table. The question is, how happy is, gonna, is Donald Trump going to be about that? He's been openly critical over the summer of the Federal Reserve, tightening monetary policy, effectively undermining his growth agenda. You almost wonder whether what the actual Goldilocks scenario is for Donald Trump on these reports. Yes, wage growth rose by 2.9% year on year this month, the highest level since 2009. Everyone is celebrating it. I can't help but think that maybe Donald Trump loves the unemployment figure, loves the job creation figure, would like slightly lower wage growth because it stops the Fed raising rates too quickly, but equally it funds his own agenda, which is we are in a trade conflict with a number of countries and my message to the electorate is they are stealing our high-quality, high-paying, high-skilled manufacturing jobs and we want them back. And if wages start to grow above 3%, up towards 4%, then you wonder how strong is that message compared to when wage growth is almost non-existent. Although this good news, Alfonso, will play well for the midterm elections, won't it? And uh, he, he needs as many votes as he can at the moment. So maybe the short-termism of these figures, contrary to what Craig has just said, is probably more important to President Trump right now. I think the fundamentals and the economic fundamentals have been very solid. And I mean, it's questionable if it's all on him. I mean, he'll take all the credit and that's basically perhaps his job as, as he campaigns for the midterms. But as you pointed out, it's like, how is this going to help or hurt? It depends on what uh, his agenda and his goals. So it is good for sort of a Republican uh, spin on like we're bringing the jobs and this is record numbers. But it can also hurt, as uh, Craig alluded to, in sort of his uh, sort of agenda to sort of turn it into a trade weapon. And the problem right now is like uh, when the, the trade deficit in the United States came out, it, of course, it's reaching higher levels just because of the way that United States is doing trade disputes and tariffs left and right. It's actually depreciating a lot of the countries that it's, he's aiming the agenda at. 
and that in turn increases the deficit on the United States. So it's 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 a very thin line that he is uh, trying to skate on. I actually found those trade figures really quite uh, interesting and almost funny because it, it, that's exactly the case. We've seen a huge depreciation of the yuan since Trump engaged in this conflict. So you've really got a, almost a one-way levy here at this moment in time because Americans now have this access to an even cheaper products because they deep depreciation of the yuan whereas Chinese uh, consumers have uh, this additional expense not only is the currency weaker compared to the dollar which makes their products more expensive but they've got the tariff on top of that if anything you're encouraging a widening of the trade deficit not an actual closing so maybe Trump's going to have to either rethink this strategy or redetermine just how easy this trade war is to win. And Alfonso, in direct contrast to those US figures, we've had the latest from Canada, and it's a different kind of story, isn't it? Yeah, it's topsy-turvy. So it, when the United States gained 200,000 jobs, the Canada lost 51,000, which is w- when you take into consideration that the, the forecast was for a gain of 5,000 like 5, jobs, and it ended up losing 50,000. That That is a sort of huge concern. And most of it came in part-time. So there's uh, less part-time and jobs available or in, in August. So that, that's a huge shift. And it actually will weigh heavily on the Bank of Canada. So the Bank of Canada did not move the, the interest rate in September. And there were some expectations that it might happen. But I think they very wisely waited because August is usually a very soft number uh, historically just because of the summer. And waiting for sort of a September number to see where the economy stands. And there's a potential for an October rate hike, but it all depends on the data between now and then. Why is there such a contrast between the two countries? Well, there's been a sort of a combination of factors. I think uh, in the past three to five years, uh, oil prices have hit uh, Canada more than the U.S. And right now, the Canadian economy, it is is recovering and it's uh, growing at a fast, faster pace. And it's just right now, the, the main sort of a point of contention is the NAFTA 2.0, so the yeah. U.S.-Canada agreement. So that is definitely uh, making uh, or putting pressure on Canadian, the Canadian dollar, on Canadian goods in the, in the future. So that ha- got a bit of good news in the past two weeks as uh, both uh, sides sat on the table and they wished to sort of uh, extend the uh, U.S.-Mexico uh, treaty and then make that their own, like the, the basis for the new NAFTA. So one... Uncertainty is still very high on that because the comments uh, apparently that the sites are a bit apart on things like dairy and how uh, the dispute resolutions are going to work out. So those are very uh, are things that were since the beginning uh, very clear on the sort of the Canadian agenda. And for the U.S. is mostly what we know already with Mexico. It's autos and it's like the, how how ma- how much of the manufacturing has to be done in the states. I guess the other thing with the econ- the Canadian economy as well, it's something that we were discussing uh, late last year, Alfonso, uh, is to do with the, the heated housing market as well. I mean, there's been actual efforts in Canada to try and uh, remove uh, some o- o- of the heat from the market because you looked at Vancouver and uh, Toronto, etc. The, 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 the prices had got completely out of control. So there was quite a clear effort in Canada to try and reduce that. And that can have an economic impact as well, especially when we're seeing an interest rate rising environment that wasn't necessarily at the time conducive with a booming economy if anything it was there to try and cool the economy and offset some of these issues that is one of the sort of biggest challenges for the bank of canada how debt levels are a record uh, in households so how do you manage that raising rates to sort of the keep up with inflation but so that they don't trigger a housing crisis 
Alfonso, we're going to talk about our own local difficulty, uh, Brexit, in a moment. So uh, until next time, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Glad to be here. Okay, let's get back to our own set of problems, uh, Craig. And uh, inevitably, I have to mention the B word, Brexit. It's been a very interesting week, actually, because uh, as you can see by the the graph for sterling, it's been up and down all week in response to good news about Brexit, whichever side of the coin you're on, or bad news about Brexit. What's been going on? Well, I think um, it has been an interesting week because nothing's actually really happened. It's been a week in which there's been a lot of speculation. It actually started towards the end of last week with Barnier's comment talking about how the UK is effectively going to get a bespoke trade deal and everyone really got excited about this. Yes, we're finally moving forward. We're going to get our bespoke deal. Everything's going to be fine. And you know what? I mean, who knows? Maybe it will be, but I think... Barnier maybe believed that we misinterpreted his message there, got a bit too excited. Or maybe so, he got a rap on the knuckles. Or someone. maybe he got a rap on the knuckles. Oh, yeah. He very much um, took a step back over the weekend talking about the fact that the single market still needs to be protected. They're not going to give us, they're not going to let us cherry pick the same old uh, analogies. And um, and then that took a bit of the buzz out of the pound again. And then it got to the start of the week and we got these reports from Germany suggesting that Angela Merkel was uh, willing to allow some details to be missing from the divorce agreement to be discussed over the next couple of years so as to get a deal over the line. Again, we get really excited. Finally, the EU's backing down. It's going to allow us to be vague in our commitment so that we don't get this no deal, no deal Brexit scenario. And perhaps that actually is going to be the case because there's a lot of things that don't need to be agreed for the next couple of years we need to agree on the divorce we don't need to be agree on future relationships right now we've got the transition deal there purely for that purpose but then again we saw some backtracking on that because it's almost as if every time we get excited we there's this idea that we need to be slapped down a little bit made to brought back down to reality in reality from this time now from this time last week we've not actually made any progress whatsoever i can't think of one positive or negative move that's happened Um, there may have been some form of negotiations happening but nothing has fundamentally changed the same issues do uh, remain one thing i would say from these reports is it would suggest hopefully that common sense is going to prevail that neither side wants a no deal Brexit. That's the only thing I've taken away from this. To be honest, it's always been the scenario which I've thought was going to pass one way or another. Even if we got a no deal Brexit, I didn't think it was going to be this cliffhanger scenario in March. I thought that agree an extension, whatever. Either way, I do think this would suggest that different people in high level positions are finally coming to the, 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 the realisation now that we're really quickly running out of time and it's time we get our bottoms into gear because we can't just let this run to a cliff edge scenario and as much as we want to be the seen as the winners on each side of this equation the most important thing is that when this separation happens both economies can work together in the future and both economies can move forward in their own way because it's to no one's benefit and it's at a time when there's almost already far too much instability around far too much uncertainty around this is this kind of self-inflicted pain is unnecessary. And this in a week where we had uh, the, the, the spy scandal with the poisoning allegedly from those Russian agents reminded us all in the West, let's say, or in the EU at least, uh, need to stick together. Uh, it's, this isn't just about economics, it's politics as well. 
Yeah, and that, that's one of the things I think we've discussed on recent podcasts as well, is this is not just an economic issue, this is a political, a geopolitical issue as well. It's not just the UK and the EU that needs to find a way to maintain strong ties while at the same time managing this divorce. We know there's instability in other parts of the world. We know that the, the US will always be an ally, but equally we know it's an uncertain ally as well because ultimately we can't there's no we can rely on trump to do this i don't think anyone can take that language anymore until we're in a post-trump era and assuming that we move from a post-trump era into something that resembles something what we're used to something more moderate um then we need i think there's a, there's a realization in europe that there's only so many people that you can continually rely on and that is extremely important in such mm. an uncertain polit- geopolitical environment. And with so many new risks, like this isn't just the old political landscape. There's so many new risks. And I think this is what the last two years has really taught us. These things are not just being fought uh, uh, in the open air. Like The online side of these things is extremely scary. And it reminds us why cooperation is needed between different governments, between different countries, etc., because it's a, it's an unknown landscape, it's uncharted territory. And despite this divorce, we share the same common values. Uh, and what's interesting, when you think about it, there is nobody in the EU, at least I don't think there is, who wants uh, a no-deal Brexit. On the other hand, there are people in the UK who do want a no-deal Brexit. So if you balance the two together, maybe it's more like the EU are going to have to come up with a deal. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to remember it's probably the minority in the UK that want a no-deal yes. Brexit. But it's unanimous on the other side. The other thing as well is the no-deal Brexiteers are quite an influential bunch, I think mm-hmm. it's quite fair to say. So um, they, they, do have, um, uh, they do have a lot of sway uh, on this side of the debate and they are kind of um, managing the process from behind the scenes in a way. I think well, let's, also- let's not forget, of course, that there's very little in terms of a majority for the Conservative government. Exactly. So everything seems to be on tenterhooks right now. And I think if we look at Europe as well, it's not particularly straightforward because these rising populist parties are not going to necessarily want to punish the UK in the same way. We've already heard these voices from Italy as well. They've they they've very much almost taken our side on this, unsurprisingly, given that they also uh, the, the the parties in charge want would like a vote on the membership at some point as well, and have said so in the past. So they're very much taken our side. On this we shouldn't be mean to UK. We should support them on their decision, and that's how it should be. So none of this is a straightforward decision. Everything is a balancing act. A couple more things to talk about, uh, Craig. A big week for cryptocurrencies, but not a good one. No, and we we had a report over the last couple of days, and it's always hard to narrow down which reports it is that's causing these dramatic moves. Um, we we saw a big sell-off in Bitcoin and therefore every other cryptocurrency pretty much over the last couple of days because there was reports that that Goldman Sachs had um, delayed the decision on uh, starting up a cryptocurrency trading desk. This was seen as big validation for the industry, remember, because a major investment bank starting a crypto desk is is very positive. It shows that the industry is being taken more seriously. It allows for the potential of big institutional investors to put their money into the space, which naturally you would think would inflate the price and possibly one of the reasons why we saw price being inflated prior to the turn of the year. And when they start to move away and they cite things like poor regulation and we need to see this landscape and uh, develop before they can become truly interested. That is a that is a significant step back for the industry, and we did see it hit price. There were there were other another couple of little stories as well, which may have contributed uh, to things from a from a from a much more technical standpoint. But I think this was the one that which really seemed to be the trigger. Maybe we'll get a lot more volatility in Bitcoin because. It, by its own standards, it's not been the most interesting space for, for a little while. It's been very much in a consolidation phase since the turn of the year. 
consolidating between kind of this kind of six seven thousand dollar level which again is a wide range but by its own standards that's quite dull We've also had this uh, UK inflation report uh, hearing and a word or two from Bank of England Governor Mark Carney, who is now expected to extend his stay as the Governor of the Bank of England until 2020. Does the city like that? Yeah, I mean, I think stability in one area of the economy in such an important role is impo- is is vital for the next twelve months. He didn't necessarily say that he was willing to, that he was staying, but he said he was willing to stay and that he <laughs> he didn't want to jump the gun and he would let the treasury make their own uh, announcement. So it would seem that he's going to be here for another twelve months, adding another slight extension to his initial five year term. Naturally, not everyone is on board with this. He is not. Mr. Popular among some of the more staunch Brexiteers. Jacob Rees-Mogg very much springs to mind because of his views prior to the Brexit referendum. But to be quite honest, I think an area of stability is positive. And also, also you have to wonder who, who would be interested in this role right now. This is a role where you're in an economic landscape that's quite fierce, that's quite uncertain. We've seen how difficult this job is and has been throughout Mark Carney's period. You've got to remember, he's gone through one Brexit process, one Scottish referendum, two general elections, and now he's just got to manage that small job of exit in the EU. He's only been here five years. I mean, this is quite incredible. It's a big job for someone to take on. Maybe this time next year, when there's more certainty of what the future is going to hold... Maybe we'll get some higher quality candidates that want to uh, give the job a go. But I think that's one of the reasons why they've pushed for Mark Carney to extend. And what did we learn from the UK inflation report hearing? Nothing. Good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) There really was nothing on this occasion. I think they did talk a lot about Mark Carney um, and about his future role. There was references to the economy, the uncertainty, but there was nothing new that's worth discussing. Okay, before we let you go, Craig, uh, what are you looking forward to particularly for next week? Well, we've already delved into all the politics and they don't go away overnight, so that's clearly something to watch out for. Next Thursday is going to be quite exciting. We've got the Bank of England Monetary Policy meeting and announcement, which is always interesting. That's followed an hour later by the ECB monetary policy decision and press conference so in thursday looks to certainly be one of the more interesting days from an economic standpoint we've also got things like u.s retail sales u.s uh, gdp i think we've got uk gdp we've got uk jobs report on on uh, tuesday we've got u.s inflation i think uh, some inflation data on wednesday as well we really aren't short of economic data next week and big central bank events so i don't think it's going to be one to miss We look forward to hearing from you again next week, Craig. And uh, we're hoping that uh, some of those downloading on iTunes or other podcast providers will uh, leave a few reviews. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They are extremely important. So please do leave a review. Leave us your feedback as well. We want to know what you think of these things. Please do leave all reviews, ratings, everything. And we'll try to uh, fix any problems or improve anything that you can suggest. Thank you. That is uh, Craig Earlham, Oanda Senior Market Analyst. Have a very good weekend. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.